Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. It's like, if you don't know the words, you don't know the words. It's kind of just how it is. So I, that's another great memory is like, you just need to, you just need to memorize probably about like 800 words. And I'm like, what? <laughs> but anyway, uh, look, you want to keep going with another question? You guys want to see something on the list that you want to ask Dr. Brown? How do you balance family and ministry life? And for you, that's even a bigger question because you are also... Well, you're the dean of the seminary, which is usually, I think, a full-time job. And then you teach full-time, which is usually a full-time job. And then you're an assistant pastor, which is also a full-time job. And you have a wife and four children. Was there a special anointing of the Spirit that helps you with that? How could we find that anointing? Some kind of a double portion. Yeah, like we want to take up the mantle, you know. (laughs) Can you help us with that? Is this a lesson in dating? <laughs> no. Go back to the original question. Just sidestep that. How do you balance work and work, ministry, and family? Oh, you know, I I wish I did a better job at all of that. Um, there's never enough time in the day to do everything you need to do, is there? It's a trial and error thing for me, but I, I think one of my professors said this to me about my doctoral work. The key to finishing your doctoral work is the continual surrender of your idealism. I think that's true for just about everything. There's always things that I could do better. Every single thing that I do, I try to do my best, but you're always limited by time. And so I try to do the very best I can to to balance all of that. And so my wife and I go on regular dates and we try to spend time together uh, that's apart from just getting away as much as we can. Um, last, last few years, we've been trying to do this thing where we just kind of like, our kids are older now. So we've actually been able to go like on a week vacation together. And just, that's been great just to kind of reconnect and, 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 and that kind of thing. So spending time with my kids, you know, try to find things that they like to do and then maybe do it. So even just like, just crazy things like, you know, I, I, like I was my, my kid's soccer coach and things like that. I just really like that that quote. The con- what was it? The continual denial, S- surrender. surrender, the continual surrender of your idealism. Idealism, man, that could really resonate with some Hebrew students. Yes, <laughs> I think Dr. Myron said this. He says the key to finishing education isn't your brilliance; it's your diligence. You know, and being it just 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 having a good work ethic. Okay, so you just brought up Dr. Myron. Do you have any like? top of the mountain experiences. Like you think about Dr. Myron Houghton, which if you don't know who that is, Google it, uh, do some reading on who Dr. Houghton was. He theologically impacted all of us as our professor, as a friend. Do you have any thoughts just as you think about Dr. Myron, just oh, something I mean, you want to mention? We were, I, you know, I consider Dr. Myron a great friend. I had the privilege of teaching with him for several years, you know, in the college or in the seminary here. And I, for a while I was his boss, you know, like as a dean, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> he still just did whatever he wanted. I don't think that's how he looked at it. <laughs> Dr. Myron adjourned every faculty meeting <laughs> as soon as he could. But no, I, I will say this from a personal standpoint, Dr. Myron had a tremendous impact on my life as a freshman at faith. And many people don't know this, but he used to teach a lot of freshman classes. He taught like Christian experience. As a freshman, that was my 
biggest growth years when I made the biggest leap. And I think the thing that really helped me is he was able to explain the doctrine of justification. And it really helped me to understand the framework for how sanctification works and, and why the grace of God and the love of God is the foundation for the Christian life. That sounds like a good podcast topic sometime. You mean like our soteriology, like our views of redemption and justification have bearing on our everyday sanctification? Is that what you're trying to tell me? It was so liberating for me, (laughs) you know? Like theology matters. Like they need to preach the gospel themselves every day? Like what you believe has something to do with how you live? We're just getting getting snarky. Okay, so are we ready for another question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Let's do this. What is your favorite thing you've produced, whether it's like a written book, an article, uh, something that you've put out, like you've published or written or produced? What's your, you look back at all the things you've had a hand in and what's your favorite thing and then tell us why and maybe a little bit about how that came about. Yeah, boy, I, I would also say that's probably one of my weaknesses is that I'm not writing as much as I should be. Um, are you like pastoring and a dean and doing everything at the same time also? Yeah, I think oh, okay. that's part of it. That wouldn't be too hard on yourself. Good writing takes time and it, it is time consuming. So, you know, I've written a few things. I actually get a lot of satisfaction after doing like conferences where you actually put together, Not I, I, I enjoy preaching, but I think I also enjoy like where you're doing like workshops or content workshops and things like that, you know, and if I collected all of those, I could put those all, I could turn all those into like journal articles and, and actually have something of, you know, much more value or something like that. But so what, what normally happens when you preach in a chapel here at faith? Does anything happen like every time? I have to put my phone on airplane mode. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Why is that? Oh, Charlie, <laughs> my phone will explode with Charlie text messages. He calls me. I, I don't know why or how this started. But now every time he speaks in chapel, I call him like right when he gets to the pulpit. The it's last, never been a distraction. The last few times I preach, I just give my phone to like my daughter or my wife and I just say, here, hold this. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I do that, but I do it every time. Charlie, you do realize you just said that on a podcast where all the students listening now have an idea of what to do when you preach. I do. And that's why I always, always put mine on airplane. <laughs> Because he, he started calling me, too. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I put it in, I mean, uh, Dean Golden Fritz. He, Golden he, rule. He, Dean Fritz sends me things, too, sometimes when I'm up there. So it's, it's fun. And we don't, we don't want to be a distraction, but it is a fun little, fun little thing that happens. So you want to get, let's get, it, well, get uh, some more of those. Well, you, the answer your question, too, like on a popular level, one time I wrote an article on the controversial topic, like... Uh, family integrated church movement and it hit kind of like a nerve out there. I don't know. Yeah. There was a lot of people that kind of picked up on it and it kind of, it, 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 it there was actually people who wrote blogs in the tr- family integrated church movement against my article, but you would have no, you have no idea how many pastors contacted me and said, this now explains why my church is having issues. And a lot of pastors reached out to me and just said, thank you for explaining this. I did that at a few conferences, stuff like that. And it, it was, I, I, you know, I, I felt like I made a contribution. Is that the one that hit uh, Chally's a la carte? Yeah. He actually, I'm he, like that, he gave a shout out to it. I could see why that would Shameless make it. plug to brother Tim over there with his blog. Um, 
the other thing I was going to say is you have an article on the call of God, a faith public article, and that was very helpful for me. And so I just want to say that's good. I know other people have used that. It's taken the, I don't know, guesswork out of it. Yeah, that's actually, when I was a student at faith, I think I was a sophomore and I was really thinking through what is the road here. And what was so unique about it was you didn't actually tell me that you had written it. She said, hey, there's this really good faith pulpit that you should read. <laughs> it's like when Moses calls himself the humblest yeah. man. And so I've actually done that with students. There's like a couple of things that, I mean, very, very few, but like some papers I have. And I'm like, hey, there's this really helpful essay on this. I'll send it to you and I'll just take my name off of it. And I feel like they revere it more than if they knew I wrote it. Well. But like, wow, that was really good. Who wrote that? I'm like, me, but I just didn't want to tell you. <laughs> so I was like, I do that because... That I remember that. Like, hey, I need to think this through. Yeah, there's a really good Faith Pulpit article. You go, <laughs> call of God, you should look that up. On that topic, so when you write stuff, you know, like we, we're all trained to write. I actually tried to, you know, blog, and Tim has a book, and you've done higher ed. Can you mute your phone, Charlie? I'm just, you know what? They know, they know I'm with Dr. Brown. They want in. So <laughs> They want access. So when you're in those long study sessions, what's your guilty pleasure for studying? Like Mountain Dew? Chocolate, coffee, like what is it? When you're studying and it's like late at night, what is the thing you need? Your soul and your stomach needs it. You know, when I was younger, it was more sugary things, but now it's more diet things, which I repulsed <laughs> when I was younger. But I, I, I think it's probably Diet Mountain Dew. Every oh, Greek really? student knows it's Diet Mountain Dew yeah. in that red koozie. Can I? <laughs> is it the one that looks like Coca-Cola? I don't know. Because my I, ear, you had like a, it looked like Coca-Cola, but you pull it out and it was a different can. <laughs> Is that the one? Yeah, you still, it is. It's the you've one. had that for like a, over a decade. It's the best koozie ever. <laughs> now, let me ask you this, Dr. Brown. Do you remember a student in Greek who once had a can of Mountain Dew on the desk and was trying to reach it and he wouldn't lean forward and he like was just trying to like grasp out and grab it, but he couldn't quite reach it? Do you remember this? <laughs> I don't think so. It was one of the funniest moments in class because there's a student and he's like leaned up against the wall and he's got this can of Mountain Dew, like literally an inch out of his arm's reach. And he would not just like pivot his hip and grab it. And we, we watched him for like a minute trying to do this. And then what was so funny was <laughs> Dr. Brown stops teaching and is just staring at this guy like mouth, like, <laughs> like watching him. And then finally he just... Uh, and like grabs it. Isn't there a proverb about that and putting your hand to the dish? <laughs> yes, there is. Yes. But if that student's listening, you know who you are. So how many years have you been in pastoral ministry? I believe, tw- well, uh, I've been married 28 years, so 27 years. If you could go back to yourself 27 years ago and say, you need to be doing this every week, every day, what, what are you doing now that you would apply to that category? That's a good question. Man, I get, let me think about that for a second. What I try to do, and I, I, I'm not as diligent as I should be, but I think when I put together series and things like that for the youth group and even like for Sunday school, I think trying to have more clear, better outlines for people and even just like, if I can, even putting together like PowerPoints. In other words, putting together, like I have a clear outline of what I want to do, but just even communicating that more clearly with other people, I think it's, it's, it just makes for better communication. And so, so sometimes... In the past, I might have just gone into youth group, had my Bible open, but to even have like an outline or PowerPoint, you know, I had a, over COVID, I had, I was doing PowerPoints with the teens 
And I had a teen say, could you go slower on the PowerPoints? I'm taking a picture of every slide. And I was thinking, this is just a regular youth group session. But it, it, it was, and he said, I'm going back over every slide because this means something to me. Like, I just really want to get every single one. I was like, it struck me like how many times have I ever taught without a PowerPoint? And it had less of an impact. So how do you balance... Because I, I agree with you. That's something that I'm on the low end of as far as producing an outline. I, I try not to use PowerPoint because, one, I feel like I become dependent on it. And then I feel like it can get into this flow of an entertaining presentation as opposed to an edifying presentation. So how do you balance, like, I know that a camp or a church or my youth group is going to really, like, they'll enjoy it more if I do these things presentation-wise. How do you find the balance there? Oh, from a pedagogical point of view, I'm not a big fan of fill-in-the-blanks. So I don't use fill-in-the-blanks typically. What a lot of people do is they're just looking for the the fill-in-the-blank. They fill-in-the-blank and then they check out. And the other thing is I don't give them, I don't put everything in the PowerPoint. So I, I give them the headers and the big ideas, and then I have maybe some bulleted points to kind of help them to kind of follow my train of thought. But I want them to take notes. And so I actually had a college student take a seminary class recently. You know, they're supposed to submit their notes that, that they actually did this as an online class, and they weren't taking notes. And I, and I said, this is a difference between college and seminary. You, I'm not going to spell everything out on the PowerPoint that you have to write everything down. You have to listen, digest it, and then write it down. So I think if people just are looking at the PowerPoint and you put everything in the PowerPoint and they read everything in the PowerPoint, they're not really paying attention to you. So I want, I want to be the one communicating the information and the, and the content. I think the key is just to let the PowerPoint be a, like a skeleton, a guide, not the full substance of everything. That's at least, that's my experience. What do you guys think? As someone who sits in your Sunday school class every week and has had many classes with you, I've appreciated the PowerPoint and the outlines because to take a, a more positive view of the, the class person, I'm really trying to learn and I, I pay attention better if I work, like I think with a pen in my hand. And so if I can be writing things, that's for me very helpful. My wife, she listens, she can listen and take it in, but I got to write stuff down. And so uh, one of the most difficult things for me is when a speaker has an outline and verbally quickly communicates the point and doesn't restate it and says it really fast and I miss it and I'm wondering, then I'm all like, I'm wondering what it is and it just drives me through, you know. And then if you go to restate it and you say it differently, <laughs> it's, ah, so I really appreciate your handouts and I usually take a picture on my iPad and take notes on it. It's very helpful. Almost like you need a transition question maybe with like a coordinator to tie all of those points together. What would you call that? A transitional sentence maybe? Uh, that's a good well, name I don't, for well, it. Dr. Brown, what would you call that? <laughs> I would say that's that's really good structure. That's really <laughs> good. That's from his preaching to youth class. So, uh, Which, by the way, for you there. <laughs> I just converted my preaching to youth class to a seminary class called Expositional Messages. So, yeah. So now it's more accurately titled? Do they... <laughs> <laughs> Truth be told, you got Amen. me. Amen. Like, I feel like some people have taken that class historically and they think preaching to youth. So how do you be exciting and engaging? And then you get into Sanukian and it's like, here's how to exegete. Like that's pretty much the Amen. whole class. And 
and it's good. It's really good. But I feel like sometimes some students maybe a little bait and switch in their own minds. <laughs> they needed it. They did. They did. <laughs> like a youth per- pastor actually needs to know how to produce an expositional message. Let's uh, not Amen. be so hasty. I don't know. Amen. Okay, that's a good that's a good way, good point to transition. We're talking about exegesis and exposition. And underneath of that would be your views of hermeneutics. And one of the classes that Dr. Doug teaches in the seminary is hermeneutics. And uh, it filters into all of his other classes that I've been a part of. And so, Dr. Brown, just this is your time. We want to talk about hermeneutics. It's important. We want... I mean, everyone that listens needs to think hermeneutically, especially the college students that are studying, trying to be better students of the Word of God. So if you just start, give give us an intro. What are we talking about? What is hermeneutics? What are the points we need to think about? And then as you've interacted with that for, you know, a couple of decades, what what do you see as the issues at hand for us today? Yeah. I mean, hermeneutics is so important. It's really the foundation for how you interact with the Bible and do ministry. So if you think of, if you think of biblical theological and practical theological issues, at the very bound foundation of that pyramid is hermeneutics. And you may not even be aware of the hermeneutics that you're doing, but everybody exercises hermeneutics. Everybody, you either have a knowledge of hermeneutics and you're actually consciously doing it, or you don't really know what you're doing, but you're still practicing hermeneutics. So some of our readers, primary or listeners, don't even know, understand what hermeneutics itself is. Can you just give us a simple definition? Yeah. Um, it's just the rules of how you interpret the Bible and how you, how and when you apply those rules to the Bible. So, um, you know, we typically use a phrase like called the historical grammatical hermeneutics, or maybe sometimes we use the term literal hermeneutics. Um, but really, it's just that, that, that there are basic rules of how you interpret the Bible. And if you apply them correctly to a passage, you're going to come out with the right interpretation. But then you also come up with the right application. So the right interpretation leads to the right application. And that's what everybody does. Every single Sunday school lesson, every devotional, you do that when you, when you do your own personal devotions. When a pastor's preaching, you're, you're, you're using and displaying hermeneutics. Can you share, so maybe you don't want to, but this needs to be published somewhere under your name, but what is the quote that was on your door for the longest time about <laughs> sermons? <laughs> uh, I don't even think it's controversial, but I think it is to I some just, people. It needs to be... I think it was by Dwayne Lifton. What was it? See, so um, uh, if I can get this right... Well, it basically says something like this, that anything less than expository preaching is technically not preaching at all. Oh, that's a good quote. That's not the one I was talking about. Okay, what I was talking about your quote. Every sermon is what? Oh, every sermon is a lesson in hermeneutics. Yes, that, that quote on your door had a huge impact on me as I started to think about my own preaching and teaching. So I just, I think the readers need to hear that. that that's a good point. Because every time you, every time you don't, use sound hermeneutics in a, in a message or a lesson, you're teaching the people that are listening how they should do it when they read it personally. Is that what we're going for? I mean, that's how I took it. Is that what you would yeah, say? Because I know... Like, like uh, for example, I mean, I, I think that 
as a pastor, you want to teach your young people, teach your people how to study the Bible. So have a lesson in, you know, grasping God's word and go through those things. But, but really what you do is you display it every single time you preach and handle the word of God. Um, so for example, I had a teen who left our church and, and was in the military, went, went away. And he's like, I, I just can't find someone who handles the word of God like our pastor does. And he didn't know how to articulate what hermeneutics were, but he, was, he, he had developed an appetite for someone who takes the word of God and explain, opens it up, explains a passage, and then and gives application from, a one, from one passage. That's the appetite we want to develop in people so that they're, they're hungry for learning the word of God. So we, we definitely want to get down the road of what we would consider good or sound hermeneutics. But I want to, I want to go off of that for just a moment. Yeah. So what do you do when that's you? Like you're, you're trying to find a good church. You're, you're trying to find someone who handles the word well, but you're being, you're becoming frustrated because you're not interacting with someone or your, your pastor's just not doing that. You're struggling to find that sound hermeneutical preaching. How would you approach that personally? Like, is that like, well, got to go to a new church? Is that like, Hey, be the change you want to see? Like, how do you, how do you handle that? How would you go? How would you counsel someone? Wow. That, that is a really complex question. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. There's a I lot know. of, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, additional issues and you're ways that, that could You're saying off. that truth is relative, Tim? Watch it. You're horrendous. <laughs> we have a nickname. We have a nickname for Tim. We call him Mr. Pre-Modern. Because there's a lot of times where he will comment about how we're like thinking things in a in a modern way. So whenever he says something even remotely close, I like to kind of jab him back with that. But I don't, anyway, so maybe maybe we can come back to that. Food for thought. Maybe we can come back to another time. Yeah, that's I, it's just it's such it's such a complex issue because when you're at a church. Um, if you, if you, let's just say you're a typical Iowan person and you live in one town for your entire life, you might have five, six, seven pastors and not all of them are going to have the same strengths as others, you know? And so, you know, I think God blesses his word at many levels. And I, 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 I honestly, when like, for example, chapel speakers come or things like that, I typically try not to evaluate them. I try to go in with an open heart and an open, and even if they say something that's bizarre or I don't like, you know, maybe just something that's like tangentially correct. I tried to just look at the passage and, and, and try to say, God, what do you have for me in here? You know? And so, um, I, 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 like I said, I, every pastor has strengths and weaknesses. And as long as they're trying to be faithful, I think that you need to evaluate things on, and, you know, preaching is not the whole pastoral package. It's, it's just one of the key jobs, but it's not the only job that a pastor does. Well, I feel like Someone told me once that the preaching is the cherry on top of the Sunday for the pastor. It's not the substance of the job. So I don't know who told me that. So, just someone years ago. But uh, so let's let's go down the road of hermeneutics. And so we've talked about what it is. And so how how do we start to think hermeneutically in a sound way? Like what are the, the foundations of good hermeneutics? You know, I like how, like, for example, a lot of books do this. Um, grasping God word, grasping God's word by Duval and Hayes does this, where he, they talk about the two worlds. What I have found is that the vast majority of Christians only look at the Bible from their own world's perspective, and they never they never try to get back to the biblical world. So they they look at truth 
in a very, I'll say like a postmodern way. They kind of just look at it as a, as a, as a springboard for, for what they're, what's going on in their own life, which is, it is. But they're not really looking and trying to understand what the biblical world is. And as soon as you get into the world of hermeneutics, what you do is you're actually inviting people to the biblical world to look at the Bible in its context. Historically, canonically, linguistically, and then it just opens up this whole nother world for you. And you say, wow, this is what the Bible originally meant. Once that, once you turn people onto that, that they actually need to know what the Bible means in its original setting, then it, it's like a hunger where you're like, you, you just want to devour the word of God. Then you want to try to help people bring that across the bridge to contemporize it, to, to contextualize it for their own lives. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we get people to see the context of the original, like the, the biblical world? I will even say, so I teach introduction to Bible study in the college, and that's basically, it's two thirds Bible study methods of like uh, what to look for. And then it's one third introduction hermeneutics. And in that we go through verses that are taken out of context a lot and they're really humorous, but in almost all of those situations, it's what you just described. You take the verse out and just, you don't even look at the context and you view it through your own world. And there's not really looking back and saying what that original audience. So I would like that. I think it's a central issue. What, yeah. How do you, how do we affect that? Or how do we help people to have a taste for that? One of the things that I do in our church with young people is I try to get them to do devotions and I'm not opposed to like the, I'll use like the, the, the daily bread approach where you read a verse or two, but you read a story things like that. I mean, at least you're reading the Bible. I, you know, it's, it's just that it's not super substantive. I think way better approach is if you can get people to start to read the Bible in context. So me read, you know, read a book through so that you see that this is actually communication from a human author to a, a, a church or to, you know, Israel. And so you begin to see the context of scripture. Um, one of my professors said it like this, is that you want people to kind of have mental hooks on the wall from maybe like Genesis to, to Abraham, to the, you know, the, 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 the United Kingdom, divided kingdom, exile, um, to the New Testament. So you want to have these hooks on the wall so that when you get truth, you're able to kind of put it into context and kind of hang that up into where the Bible story, the, you know, the, the, the narrative of the Bible actually is going. So how do you go about teaching people the hooks or what hooks do you teach them? <laughs> oh, this is a funny story. I shouldn't say this because, but I remember one time I was... No, you should. Anytime you of... start your story that way on this podcast, that means you need to say it. A lot of great stories begin <laughs> with, I shouldn't tell you this, but... Well, it, it's kind of a complex story, but it was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was really... It has a great ending. But what happened is I, was, I, I realized that my teens didn't really know, you know, who came first, David or Jonah? Who came first, Abraham or Moses? You know, they just didn't know... This, this, the, a lot of them were just were, I'd say, biblically illiterate, okay? So I did a whole, just a one quarter, the storyline of the Bible, just, just from beginning to end, the major events of the Bible that took place. And I, I had pictures, at the time we didn't have PowerPoint, it was just like I had posters with like, like little pictures of everything. And, I, and so the, the quiz at the end was I threw them all together and said, you have to line these up kind of a thing. 
it was really funny because I had, I had a parent come to me one time and just said, when are you going to do something practical? <laughs> <laughs> and I think their, their teen was frustrated. Like the teen was frustrated. So, well, it was really interesting. Um, a few years later, that teen ended up coming to faith. And they actually came to me after their freshman year and apologized and said, Pastor Doug, I'm, I just want to apologize. I had, I had no idea what you were trying to do in youth group, but now I understand how valuable that was and how it's made a difference even now trying to understand what's going on in my classes. And I I thought, you know, God to be, God be the glory, but yeah, that's like a score, you know, to to be able to help people understand that that understanding the Bible, becoming biblically illiterate is practical. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.